The message this morning is freed through the Son to live by the Spirit. Freed through the Son by, to live by the Spirit. That's the, the biggest point that I'm going to make today that I want to try to unpack through God's Word is that we are freed from bondage to sin. And this freedom has been ordained by the Father. It has been purchased by the Son. And it is lived out by the Spirit. Our freedom has been ordained, granted by the Father. It has been purchased by the blood of the Son. And it is to be lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is involved in this freedom. And it is glorious. And to try to understand our freedom from sin's control, we're going to start with Romans 8, 1 through 14. So would you listen as I proclaim to you the very words of God through his Apostle Paul. In the words given to him by the very Holy Spirit of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, and in the Greek, the philosophy between that if is a since. I want to make that clear. Since, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ, since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then brothers, and this is generic, and sisters, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And as I said last week, just so there's no mistaking that Greek, sons of God, it means sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you so much. Your word is so awesome. 
And it is so glorious. And especially today, I see how glorious it is. I should see it every day. But today, Lord, I see it and I taste it. And I pray that my brothers and sisters could, through your Holy Spirit, see your truth and taste your truth experientially. Lord, we need power for this. We can't just read your word. We can't just hear your word. We can't just understand your word factually. We need to experience the truth of it in our souls like we're meant to. And so, Lord, for that, we need more than eyes and ears and brains. We need power. We need almighty power to make our hearts sensitive to your truth and to give us, Lord, experience of your truth that we might enjoy it, that we might taste it, that we might love it, that we might treasure it, that we might get excited about it, that we might see our lives changed by it. That's what we want, God. And your son died for this. He poured out his blood for this. He rose from the grave for this. He gave us his Holy Spirit for this. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would do this today. In his name we pray, amen. So I'm I'm excited about this text. (laughs) And I'm excited to share it with you. But a little background before. We look at verse 1 in Romans 8 and Paul says, There is now therefore. And that tells us we've caught Paul in mid-thought here, right? And he's been explaining something. And we're starting right in the middle of it. And because we're in a series on the Holy Spirit, not in the book of Romans, we're we're pulling out chapter 8 and looking at it because it deals so much with the Holy Spirit. But we've got to understand the context here. And what he's been saying throughout Romans 7 is that we're in this terrible, terrible spiritual dilemma. We know what the right thing is to do, Paul says. We understand God's law. We agree with it. But we cannot seem to do it. He says in Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions. I do not want what I want. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want... I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Whew. Paul is explaining that knowing God's law is not enough. Wanting to do God's will is not enough. Because despite knowing and wanting, there is something else at work within us. Namely, sin. Which also, sin also knows God's law. And upon hearing God's law, and despite knowing it is right, sin works rebellion and failure in our hearts anyway. And makes us captive to sin. Even through the good laws that God gives. And Paul says about all this, I am of flesh sold under sin. He calls it slavery. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And finally, in exasperation at the end of seven, Paul calls out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And all that we're going to talk about today is the answer. And we're going to answer it in in three points as we go through the text. And, And the first point is this. Judgment is overturned. We are free to go. Judgment is overturned. We are free to go. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. See, in order to understand the truth of these verses that we're looking at on this slide right now, we must understand the unique reality of the character of sin. We do not sin simply because we are sinners. The even awfuler truth is that we sin because sin is a prison that we have been justly condemned to because we've rejected God. Sin is a prison that mankind has been justly condemned to be stuck and bound and enslaved in because of our first rejection of God. That's why Paul says, I am sold under sin. That's why our Lord says in John 8, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. We will never understand the depths of the problem of our sin or God's solution in Christ and its absolute sufficiency and glory unless we get the truth that sin's not only something we do, but it's also a prison that we are enslaved to for rejecting God. <clears throat> if you do an in-depth study of Romans 1, which is just a chapter that sets the foundation for so much that the Bible answers, you will see this truth clearly laid out. There Paul says the following. I'll, I'll go through a bit of it and then pick out a couple of points in Romans 1. Because really, Romans 2 through 15, 16 is answering the problem of Romans 1 throughout. And there Paul says, the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed. We're not just waiting for it in hell. It's revealed now from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? Paul says they suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So that we are without excuse. For although they knew God. They did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile. In their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise. They became fools. And exchanged the glory. Of the immortal God. For images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is talking about our first sin. The sin of idolatry. The sin of replacing God's rule over our lives with our own rule. Bowing down to our own hearts first. Or bowing down to other people because we've rejected God. Or bowing down to pleasures that we want because we've rejected God. And what does God do in response to this rejection of him? It's, it's so sobering. He says in verse 24, therefore, because of what we've done to reject God, God says he gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. There is God judicially acting with holy justice against our rejection of him by giving us over to impurity that's brewing in our hearts. Verse 26, for this reason, our rejection of God, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And particularly in these two verses, he's talking about all kinds of sexual confusion and perversion and deviance we see. Adultery, 
fornication, homosexuality, pedophilia. It's all there. And it's, it's not just sexual in nature. He says in 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Oh, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not to be done. And there are Paulists, covetous, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, hating God, insolence, haughtiness, boasting, just inventing evil, disobedience, disobedience to parents, foolishness, faithlessness, heartless, ruthless. That's what God gives us up to for rejecting him. You see, all the way back to Adam in our first father, when we were in Adam and all of our potential as a human family. By the way, do you know that even science can trace our DNA back to a first mother and a first father? Called mitochondrial Eve and mitochondrial Adam. I'm not going to rely on science. I'm relying on God's word. And who knows? Science may change its evaluation tomorrow. But we know from God's word that we are one human family in all our potential coming from the same father, Adam. And we were, when we were in him in all our potential, we rejected God. And since that time, God has justly handed us over to sin's control as a penalty. In essence, God is saying this. Mankind, if you refuse to be ruled by the one who is goodness himself. If you reject the one who is goodness himself from whom all good and all value and all love and all kindness and all gentleness and all righteousness comes from, if you reject me, then as a just penalty, you can only be ruled by what is evil. It's not like there's some second concession prize for an okay God. If you reject God. No, you either get God, who's the only source of goodness, or you get badness. Right? It's a binary option. There's only this way or that way. But this is the condemnation that is so important to see that Christ has freed us from. See, into this misery, into this... Catch 22, never ending snowball circle of being imprisoned to sin, to sin more. God sends Jesus to suffer all of God's just wrath for our rejecting him. All of it. All of it. Everything we've done wrong, he takes the wrath for. His death pays the debt we owe God to reject, for rejecting God. And he overturns the judgment of God that makes us slaves to sin. This is beautiful, amazing news. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means in the likeness, not as sinful flesh. But he looked just like us. And for sin, to deal with sin, to deal with our problem of sin, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. When Jesus became human to suffer the punishment that humans deserve, He opened the doors of the prison forever. Instead of condemning us 
Jesus condemned our sin. And now listen, listen, listen. And now God, if I could put it this way, he has no legal right. The father did this, right? He's the one who sent Jesus to to orchestrate this legal freedom. But the point is, God now no longer has any legal right. Or God would say, I no longer have any legal requirement to keep you in the prison of sin. All your sin is paid for. You are free to go. Does that make sense? Oh, if you had the boldness and you said, I'm not sure about this, I would just ask you to raise your hand because I just want you to get this. And we'll stick around for it. We'll get in trouble with the school to talk more. (laughs) It's just so important. See, the law, knowing the right thing to do, could never free us from the prison of sin. Because in ourselves, we're not strong enough to resist sin. The prison is too strong. The bars of sin of that prison are too hard for us to break. But now, Jesus Christ has removed us from that prison. He has... He has opened its door legally and we're free to walk through by the power of the spirit. That's what verse two says. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here is Paul is saying you can walk in freedom now. You will walk in freedom now. We're set free from the prison of this of sin for our rejection of God that we've been condemned to. Oh, man. (laughs) God takes off our prison garb. He dresses us in a robe that says righteous in Christ. He puts a badge on us that says it is illegal to imprison my child any longer. And instead of handing us back to the warden of sin prison, God hands us over to the Holy Spirit who gives us power to live out what Jesus and Jesus alone has paid for our freedom. And that's beautiful. You did not have to, you could not, and you did not pay for your freedom. Jesus Christ did. And God did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, the law is good. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we're going. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The flesh, we should define that term here. Different people define it differently. Uh, the, the, a way that I could come up with defining it here is the flesh. When Paul talks about the flesh in Romans 8, he, he means all that defines human life apart from God. That is, human desire apart from giving God his rightful place as our God. Human hope in human effort instead of depending on God and his power and faithfulness. The flesh is that which denies God his rightful place to be loved and followed and depended on. Friends, Jesus has set you free. He has paid for your sins. But not only that, he has condemned sin's right to keep you in bondage to it any longer. And he has given us his spirit to lead us into freedom. Brothers and sisters, we must believe this if we're going to experience that. That's the way it works with God's promises. You take the land by believing him and moving into it. We have to believe this. I remember starting to come to terms with this truth uh, as as a new Christian. Well, maybe six years old in Christ, maybe 25 or 27. 
I started coming to, to terms with these truths that the Holy Spirit actually lived inside me. He was actually my freedom. I remember when I first experienced this was being at a, a volleyball game at a singles meeting after church. And there was a guy there who I just knew hated me. And I was just, it was just hard. I mean, you know, he probably wouldn't say he, he, he only hated me, but he really struggled to like me. And, and I struggled to like him back. And, you know, I just walked around like knowing this guy felt like he hated me. And he walked around me knowing, feeling like I hated him. And at some point that day, I just said, that is garbage. That is garbage. I am not condemned to hate this man. And I said, no. Feelings, emotions, past history, past experience, no. I'm not condemned to hate this person. I can love him. And I just started saying, that's the truth of who I am in Christ and the righteousness he's earned for me. And believe it or not, we became so close after that. For years, he became one of my dear friends. And it it turned, the pivot of it was me just saying, God, you have set me free from the prison of my sin of hatred towards this person. And folks, oh, sin is a deceiver. It will bully you to death. It will tell you you cannot do it. It will tell you that you must sin, that you have to give in. It just bullies you and deceives until it gets what it wants out of you, which is unbelief in God's promises, bowing down to hopelessness and excreting sin, as I might put it that way. And it still bullies me. I mean, it still tries to push me around. And I'm just so happy to see this text this week because how it's reminded me that, no, it's not who I am in Christ. Don't judge yourself by your history. Judge yourself by God's word. Say no to whispers of despair and hopelessness that tell you you are a slave to your sin. It's sin's word against the worth of the blood of the Son of God. Who should you give more honor to? May you be happy in that. (laughs) May we embrace this. May I embrace it. May we just taste the sweetness of this freedom. Verse 2, no middle ground. This is point 2, rather. No middle ground. We must have the Spirit to live out our freedom. In this section, we're going to see that without the Holy Spirit, we are hopeless against our sin. Though freed by the Son's blood from sin, the agency, the ability, the fuel in the tank to beat sin doesn't come in from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit. His active presence is the only difference between failure and victory, between the lost and the saved. From the new birth to the resurrection, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the defining agent in our life with God and our growth in love for Him. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, on the, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, it's hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember our definition of flesh. Human desire apart from giving God his rightful place as our God. Hope and human effort instead depending on God's power and faithfulness. So Paul's telling us, without the Holy Spirit, who only comes from trusting in Christ, there is no possible way to live with and for God. It simply cannot be done. Now, the flesh can look very good. 
You may be a decent person outwardly to everyone else. But if you reject Christ, you have rejected the most important person and the source of everything good in the universe. The one who made you and the one to whom you owe everything. So there's no way to be a a, a nice person truly and reject the Son of God. But if you have come to Christ, if you have asked him to save you from your sins and call out to him for his free gift of mercy and salvation, then he lives in you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And your mind will begin to change. The set, the channel it is set on will begin to change. He will give you new thoughts, new desires, new hopes. He will work power in you. Even through feeble attempts, you will begin to live a life of love for him by his Holy Spirit's power. And Paul says there's no middle ground between these two places. You are either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. The greatest realities in life are binary, right? Ones or zeros, yes or no. You're married or single. You're breathing or you're dead. Sometimes I wish this wasn't true. Like with my gas tank, not with my marriage. Like, like, have you ever run out of gas? I I have run out of gas too many times to not be ashamed before you. But, But car engines are just so honest. Like, they just don't play around. Like, there's no middle ground in running out of gas. Like, I'm literally either moving forward or my car is done. And I'm just super embarrassed. And I'm just thinking, wow, I'm such a dope. There is either gas in my tank powering my engine or there's no more powering of the engine, right? And Paul is saying here, if you don't have Christ, you don't have the fuel to please God. You won't please God. The Holy Spirit will not be in your engine empowering you to do that. And so, you know, I just want to speak to you here. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to, oh, he wants to know you so much more than you do. And I pray that this morning you might begin to, even through what we're reading today, just have a hunger for him, a desire to know him, that his spirit would begin working on you to tell you that he wants to come live inside you, to change you. And please come and talk to me. Come and talk to anybody that you know here who is a believer about this. I'm getting a boom. Are you guys getting a boom? No? Okay. I will suffer through the boom. But now Paul pivots and seeks to encourage. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him, oh, this is so good. Listen to this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Why is he moving to the resurrection now? I love that question. I hope the answer is going to become clear. Okay, so we're starting to see the curtain drawing back on some of these beautiful, magnificent, Trinitarian realities. Without apologizing or explaining overly, Paul makes no quibbles out of saying the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Co-equal in Godhood, co-equal in glory, co-equal in honor. And then he talks about the spirit 
who raised Christ from the dead. We find out the Holy Spirit. We talked about this, I believe, last week on Easter. The Spirit is the one who, who actually was God's agent in raising Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God doesn't just do invisible, ethereal things to our emotions and our wills and our desires. Oh, the Spirit of God works in muscles and bones and tissues and reanimates all of creation. And that's what he did to Jesus Christ. He went through the Spirit into the physical body And he blew the doors off death and raised Jesus from the dead. And he is going to do that to every one of you here who believes in his son. Because he's God. But why is this here? This is a chapter on sanctification, on on growing in Christ. Well, what's the point of growing in Christ? Paul's later going to say in this chapter, the whole point of our growing in Christ, the whole point of our existence is to be conformed perfectly to the image of his son. That is where sanctification goes. It doesn't just go to, I hope I can make a little progress in this life. No, it's a train that bulldozes its way through the mountains of sin and death and ends up in the crescendo of resurrection life when you will be perfectly conformed to the image of God's son. And so that's why Paul is talking in a chapter about growth and holiness and he's ending it at the resurrection. It tells us where the train of growth is headed, where the destination is. Some applications from this little section. Listen, don't, Albert, don't, church, don't, let's don't put our hope in our own ability. Put your hope in the power of the Holy Spirit and base that hope in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you through his blood. God is honored and pleased When he is trusted to be our strength for change against sin. It doesn't please him when we deny these freedoms and these truths that his son paid for with his own blood. When we say, God, I can't do it. It's too much for me. Or I'm just, or I can do it on my own. I should be better than this. No, God loves it and deserves it. When we honor him and trust him by saying, yes, God, help me to believe. Yes, Lord, this is true. And he honors that kind of hope with his attention and his power and his love. He directs his resources towards the heart that puts its trust in him. And he strengthens that heart and empowers that heart that depends on him. At the men's retreat, I just loved it. I was at Buzz's table and we were talking about quiet times and growth and sanctification. And Buzz said something like, What I think of sanctification or growing in Christ, it is just increasing in my ability to cry out and depend on God. Is Buzz here? In this room? He's in CM or something. Tell Buzz amen today if you see him. That is just such a beautiful idea. Growing in holiness is really about growing in my ability to to trust and depend on God and cry out to him and say, Lord, please help. Don't believe that anyone else... Second point, don't believe that anyone else has any hope either. Point brothers and sisters that you know to the Spirit's power based on the blood of the Son of God before you point them to their responsibility and to their abilities. And I, I've, I've, you know, I I talk this to myself because I, I make mistakes in this in counseling and caring for people that too often I want to get to the truth of a situation before I get to the hope in the situation. And you know, sometimes you have to stop and you have to say, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong. And I have to disagree with you. But Lord, let it not be long before we take them, before we take ourselves to the hope we have in Jesus Christ and the power we have in the Holy Spirit 
that our words would be based in spiritual hope and in God's love and in God's power. Third, don't think for a second that your nice friends and neighbors who don't trust Christ have any hope without him. We either have the spirit who will see us through to the resurrection or we are under God's condemnation and we are going to end in everlasting hell. Pray for those people. Pray for boldness and courage to make him known to them. Lord, open our eyes to the reality of of the, the binary nature of being in Christ with the spirit or not and being condemned by the law of sin and death. Lord, help us to submit to that truth that it might result in a greater boldness, a greater sympathy and mercy towards the lost and a greater animation for, of us going to them. Lord, that's my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters. Last point, the mark of a true child of God killing sin. Point three, the mark of a true child of God killing sin. In these verses, we're going to see that putting to death the deeds of the body is not an option. Rather, it is the confirming sign in Romans 8 that we are truly God's children. If we truly belong to Jesus and his spirit truly belongs to us, we must make war against our sin. We will make war against our sin. And that we will do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And he's not just talking about the fact that we all die. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about hell. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And again, as I spoke about last week, that son's word is generic. It it talks about position of favor in the family. It means sons. He means daughters, children of God, favored children of God. But, But let's just stop for a second. Just ask, what is all this talk about obligation and death if we live to the flesh? Aren't we saved by grace? Aren't we a gospel centered church? Yes. Yes, we are. And that is all. What we've read so far, that, that it's been screaming that, right? But what Paul is saying here is that our living by the Holy Spirit and seeking to kill our sin through him is the valid confirmation that we truly have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. As Martin Luther said famously, you've probably heard it before, we are saved by grace through faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It comes in issues and fruit. And this isn't legalism. This is not earning our way. Paul is telling us, without the pursuit of God's heart, by the Holy Spirit, our profession, our claim to be saved by grace through faith, it is hollow. It doesn't have the confirmation of our lives to back it up. But on the other hand, listen, God is speaking to people that are Christians and he's convinced they're Christians and he's telling this to them for their good because they need to hear it. They need a little, if I might say, kick in the pants. He is not telling us to scare us into hell and despair. He's, he's telling us to kick us out of the nest of complacency 
so that we can experience the joy and the victory and the freedom his son has bought for us that belongs to us, that his Holy Spirit secures for us. He's saying, get out of the nest, folks. Go for it. Take the land. It is yours. But we should also know this putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Holy Spirit, it does not necessarily happen in a moment. That's why he took us to the resurrection, right? Destination, resurrection. Journey, growth. We're in journey phase right now. With some sins, we see overwhelming power at conversion. I saw immorality and drunkenness and popularity seeking take major blows the day I was saved. But these temptations still can come back and try to put me back in the cell or tell me that I'm still back in the cell. Other areas like anger or laziness or pride. When I was saved at 20 years old, I did not even know how stubborn and real some of those battles would be over a lifetime of the Spirit's presence and help. And again, I think that's why Paul speaks on the resurrection. We're on a journey, not at the final destination. So while the presence of the Holy Spirit and the battle against sin are the presence of the Holy Spirit and the battle against sin are non-negotiable, they happen right now, our growth in godliness and in love for the Lord and love for others, it varies with our knowledge of God, with our maturity in Christ, with our proper wielding of the means of grace. We'll talk about in a second. It, it, it can even be affected by, I'm not saying it's caused by, but it can be affected by our physical realities of things like tiredness and hunger and depression and exercise or lack of exercise and diet. But regardless of the circumstance, we are called to fight. We are called to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Verse 13. But we're called to do this by the Spirit. By the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. We fight and He works. We say yes to God's promises and He works. We stand against the lies of sin and He comes and fills that intention with great power and strength. And I I, I think the weapons of our battle against our sin i just want to talk about them for a moment you know how do we put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit i I don't think it has to be entirely mysterious i I think there are well-worn paths that most of you are aware of and mainly i just want to encourage you that a lot of you are doing the right things and using the right tools and his spirit is working in you through those things god's word reading it Praying it, crying out to God through it, hiding it in your heart by memory, calling it to mind, using cards and phones in front of you to stay in front of God's word. We become soft to the spirit's love and the power of Christ and ready for battle through God's word. Prayer, 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 and then more prayer. Hey, if you want a good time, come to second night Wednesday prayer meeting. It can be crucial. Prayer is always crucial. Pleading with God, praising God. This is the language of the dependent. God loves to be cried out to. We're covered in crisis. We're covered in failure. We're covered in discouragement. He loves to be cried out to in the midst of that and to be delivered through, to deliver you through it. Fellowship with each other. Oh, how I have been learning more about this. The Spirit is so jealous for our unity. He is jealous 
for us fighting to love each other, confessing our wrongs, wrongs to each other. It is like catnip to God. Please forgive me, Lord, for comparing what you like to catnip. But you made cats and you made catnip. So many of you probably do not like cats. But, but cats are crazy about catnip. It's irresistible. If you don't have a cat, you should just buy one just to experience the insanity of catnip and cats. It's amazing. Crying out to God and depending on him, that's like catnip to the spirit. It's, it's, when it's done in truth, it's irresistible to him. Reconciling with people. Making progress where there's been disunity. Fighting to love when it's hard. It is so beautiful to him. Forgiving each other. It's catnip. To the Holy Spirit. He just gets in there and he just, he works, he's, he's initiating it, but he works on it. I think it's Psalm 136 says that where there's unity, God commands his blessing, life evermore. Fasting. Jesus did not say if, but when we fast. Worshiping in song and in church together. I think it's Psalm 22 says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Using our spiritual gifts for one another, whether it be administration or encouragement, hospitality, teaching over coffee from the pulpit in the counseling session or exhortation, a prophetic word. The spirit is implicitly killing sin when we're busy using our gifts for his glory and the good of others. If you have a private devotional gift like tongues, it's warfare to use it and not neglect it. Evangelism. We're going to hear from Bob in two weeks about how witnessing to the lost, it nourishes our soul and it puts to death hard-heartedness. Serving in our care groups and our churches, pouring ourselves out for the poor and the needy, it just kills churches. I'm sorry, it kills selfishness. Serving the poor, if it needs to kill churches, goodness gracious, what's my brain doing? These are the ways that we position ourselves to be filled and full and empowered by the Spirit. It's not legalism, folks. It's not legalism. It's living. It's living. Long ago I heard the saying, God is not against effort. He's against earning. God is not against effort. He's against earning. And when in your mind your effort becomes earning, he will oppose you because that's going to feed your pride or your despair. But when you're trusting in Christ and getting out of the boat to walk on the water, he loves to make that water solid as a rock underneath your feet by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you take steps of obedience, trusting in his power to meet you, he loves to meet you and to be your bragging right instead of yourself. We must always remember that the power over sin is the birthright of every believer because of what Jesus has accomplished on Calvary. To set us free from being locked up in sin's prison. And I want to celebrate that this morning by asking the communion team to come forward and asking the band to come up. So communion team, would you begin to distribute the the juice and the bread? We're We're going to do communion around this truth. And we'll ask the band to just play quietly behind me. And you guys can grab the, the cup and the juice and try to, if you can, just keep listening to me up here as we, we, we uh, round the bases and head for home here. So I'll say it again, my biggest point today. 
We must always remember that the power over our sin, it is the birthright of every believer. That the power over our sin that comes from the Holy Spirit, it is the birthright of every believer because of what Jesus has accomplished on Calvary. He has set us free from being locked up in sin's prison. And the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives, it is a spoil, if I could put it that way. It is a spoil of the victory that Jesus, not you, have accomplished and earned. And it is because of his kindness, your guarantee in him. And though we must fight and we must act and we must strive, it's never, ever our power that gives us the victory. It's his spirit's power. What sailor would put up his mast and then say that he powered his way across the ocean by his own strength? He just positioned his boat to make sure that the power of the wind was captured. And if he was honest, he'd give the credit to the wind. So when we think of putting to death our deeds of the flesh by the spirit, we're like that sailor. We put up the sail of prayer. We put up the sail of recommitting something to God or reminding ourselves of his promise. We put up the sail of confession or just saying, God, help in truth and staying at it. Saying sorry to our husband and wife as best as we can. We put up the sail of owning up to something and honesty. We, we put up the sail of giving to the poor. Or giving to the church. We put up the sale of, of going to that women's meeting. That you just don't want to go to. We put up the sale of bringing Christ into the conversation at work. Or refusing to walk into mocking with other students at school. Saying a quiet desperate prayer for courage to stand for him. These are all the ways that moment by moment we put up the sale of our face. So the spirit can blow into the canvas and send us across the ocean of this life toward conformity to Jesus Christ. We are free, men and women, to live by the Spirit through the blood of the Son. We are free. And I know we don't experience that freedom instantly, all perfectly, the way we want to. But I'm just so convicted this morning that, that you and I, we have to say, in order to honor the Lord, God, we are free. And I should say no to hatred. I should say no to selfishness. I should say no to laziness. I should say no to pornography. I should say no to being a drunkard. Because I am free to walk out of this cell. And it is a dishonor and a crime to just sit in this cell. When you've purchased and blown off gates by your blood... So, with communion, when you take the juice and you take the bread this morning, this is your key. This is your proclamation. This is the banner of your freedom. The death of the Son of God. Your freedom over sin's domination over your life is as true and as real as God's Son's blood is valuable. This is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread now and remember the body that sets you free from captivity to sin. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Now take the cup and remember the blood that sets you free. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. We are announcing paid in full, not just over our guilt, but over a life being dominated by sin. No more. Brothers and sisters, there is no condemnation through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Let's sing.